What are the things that bring them joy? Where do those passions lie? Identify what could bring joy in your career. Do you want to be the absolute best candidate for a job you'll love in a career with balance? Veteran leadership career catalyst Jonathan Flax is teaming up with leading executive search professionals to provide you with cutting-edge career transition strategies. Welcome to Career Transition Experts. And now, here's your host, Jonathan Flax. We are so lucky to have a wonderful guest today from Appleton, Wisconsin. I'm very happy to introduce Sharon Hulse, who's the president and CEO of Employment Resources Group. She's a 25-year veteran in the executive search business. She really knows this business and is also the author of a a book published by Forbes Books called A Well-Done Professional Midlife Crisis. Uh, Sharon, welcome to uh, the Career Transition Experts. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, very good. So um, tell us a little about your focus, what uh, kind of industries, if you have any specialization, and, sure. and something about how you handle, you know, help candidates with the with the career transitions. So um, we do specialize. So I've my, in fact, June 2nd was my 25 year anniversary. So I've been oh. doing this a long time. And it just, we just had our, our party. So that was fun. Congratulations. Um, I, that's that's yeah. a great, a great celebration. It's a long time in one business. But um, so my old desk, the desk that um, I started when I first started the business is construction. So and it's a there's a funny story about how I got into that, but wanted to be in a male dominated industry. So and I love construction yet to this day. It's just super fun. Um, we also do manufacturing. Of course, we're in Wisconsin, which is the hub of manufacturing. So we do manufacturing. Um, banking, credit union, that type of work. And then we have a um, function-based team that does like, um, let's see, finance, human resources, marketing, sales, anything across the top of any type of organization, we do that as well. Really, really great. So I'd like to begin with the end in mind. If someone listens to this episode, what are they going to come away with? What's the thing we'll focus on? Uh, from your view, it's the most important aspect of the career transition process. So, you know, I wrote the book for a reason. And the reason I wrote the book is because I find that um, much like myself, I went through, I definitely went through my own professional midlife crisis. And I think what happens is we get stagnant. It isn't that we're not great at what we do. And it isn't that we're not making good money. Because, I mean, the reality is, um, if you are good at what you do, you do tend to, over time, make make good money. But what happens is we we lose our passion and our energy for our careers. And and rather than throw the baby out with the bathwater and necessarily say, I have to make a move, it's really figuring out where do those passions lie? What are your natural gifts? Not the things that you educated or trained yourself to, but your natural gifts. And then how do you marry those two to to be able to to get up every day and say, I love what I do. I can't imagine doing anything different. I want to do this for the rest of my career. Um, I always tell people my job as a recruiter is to help them find their life vocation, much like I did myself. And that is figuring out how do you marry those two to get to that. What are some of the ways in which you help people go through that process? Yeah, so the book actually has at the end of each chapter, it has exercises and the exercises are meant to kind of give people time to reflect on all of it because it isn't an exercise where, you know, I, I, so we start with a list and I make people make a list of everything they're passionate about and, and not just at work, but just in life, right? It could be playing piano. I mean, it doesn't matter. It really is to understand 
what are the things? Are they detail oriented? Are they creative? You know, those sort of things that really get inside their head on what are the things that bring them joy? Because work should be one of those things. I mean, not that we always have good days and bad days at work. I mean, that's just part of the deal. But overall, what is it that brings you joy? Because it's getting people happy. And then really looking at when people work to their natural strengths. So when they work to things that they don't have to challenge themselves to do, but it sort of comes naturally, that's where I find they find their life location. So an example of that, I I don't know why, I'm just intuitive. I have really good spidey sense when it comes to just sort of life. That has served me really, really well in this business. And I didn't even realize it till I got into this business, fell in love with it. And then people say, How, why are you good at, at executive search? And it's it's the intuitive piece of I just, I know what a candidate wants to tell me, but they don't have the right words. Or I know what a client, what their challenges are just by being observant and intuitively knowing what they're not telling me. That puzzle piece just makes me good at this business. What I want to help candidates do is define that for them through these different exercises um, and we do the same thing. We begin with the end in mind. I make them write an article. I tell people this. If a New York Times author or, or uh, editor comes to visit you and they said, okay, fast forward to retirement and we're going to write an article about your career, what does the article say? So it's beginning with what does it say and then working all of that backwards, looking at the talents and the things they they love and then putting that piece together to get to the, they actually live out that New York Times article. So the book is was designed to help people spend a lot of time in thought about, same thing, beginning with the end of mind, what does it look like? And then backing it up and finding a career that meets it. Yeah, really great. Um, I like that exercise of listing things you're passionate about. You happen to mention piano. I happen to be a, um, playing piano for 40 some odd years. But sometimes people say, well, I don't know about the word passion. Many people do. They know what they like. But what do you do? How do you help someone over that hurdle when they say, I don't know that I have much passion. I don't know what I'm passionate about. Right. So, you know, people get, I mean, we all get in funks where, you know, they've lost so much of their passion, whether it's uh, the person they work with or what they're doing. So everybody has things that they really love. And I think the biggest piece of that is really unpeeling the onion to to include the personal life because Mm -hmm. people can get really in disarray at work. And, you know, I have a lot of people who literally will sit in my boardroom and cry because Mm -hmm. they're just so um, lost when it comes to their career and, and, and getting, you know, the enthusiasm back again. Mm -hmm. So we take it to a real granular level because everybody has things they love, right? And and sometimes Mm -hmm. the word passion can be overused, but it really is things that you love. So it can be your family. It could be, it could be something that's a hobby that they just don't have time to do anymore because they're consumed by the challenges and issues and problems at work. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be something that they did years ago that they just mm-hmm. haven't you know, had time to do. So everybody has things that they love. So if, if they say to me, I don't know what my passions are, we start with, what do you love? What do you, mm-hmm. what do you love? What in your life creates joy? What makes you happy? I mean, it could be a, a specific type of food. It doesn't matter what it is. It's getting the kind of the juices going to think about what creates pleasure. And then when you look at that list and you put it with what the talents are, natural talents, it really does help to start to identify uh, what could bring joy in your career. That's great. Do you have an example of someone who was a little stuck and how you found the clues from their personal life? 
Oh, do I ever. The book, every chapter has an example of someone who is a real life person. My favorite is probably, um, so I was a police and fire commissioner for years in our city. And um, so the chief of, of police and the fire chief report into the the uh, fire and police commis- commissioners. And the p- chief of police came to see me, wanted to go to lunch. And uh, lunch is typically code for I want a new job. But, you know, in this particular case, I didn't think it would be. Well, sure enough, it was. He says, I don't want to be in civil, civil service anymore. And I'm like, That's, this isn't really a good conversation for me to be having as a police and fire commissioner. He said, I, I just trust you to help me. He said, I have been in police work my entire life and I don't like it anymore. It's all bureaucratic. I spend all my time in meetings in city hall and I'm not doing what I love, which is the actual art of policing, helping our city to be safe. I'm not doing that anymore. So he had lost his passion for being a uh, police chief. So we took, we went through this exercise and it took us almost six months to really get through all the different parts and pieces to understand at the end of the day, what I knew was this. He had incredibly strong emotional intelligence. He was um, phenomenal at building strong leaders. We had a police department that when he took it over was on the verge of a no confidence vote, meaning they just did not love the leadership that they had been in under and nobody wanted to be promoted. Well, he he walks into this position and all of a sudden he's such a great leader. Everybody wants to be promoted under his leadership. So all of a sudden we had this pool of people who wanted to be the next tier leaders. So he was phenomenal at building up young leaders to be strong, ultimate people who could take over the position. And actually an internal person did take over the role when he um, when he left. So HR seemed like a perfect fit, right? He he's build, great at building strong leaders. He's a good trainer. He's good at he's a great listener, and he has strong emotional intelligence. So we actually placed him with a very large company in our area as their vice president of human resources, and he's been there now nine years, and he does amazing, amazing work. So wow. that was completely. I mean, I still remember calling the client, and and I said, I have your HR person. They go, great, tell me about her. And I said, well, first of all, she's a he. Second of all, it's the chief of police. And I honestly, Scott, you thought I wasn't just have lost my marbles. And I said, you have to do one thing. You have to trust me and just meet him. And he did. And the rest is history. And it's been, it's been amazing. So people can recreate themselves a lot and, and it's giving yourself permission to do that. And then really looking past the obvious to sometimes the things that aren't obvious. Really, really great view and a great story. I'm sure uh, um, people listening will possibly get inspired by uh, this story to look outside the box. So this is a great positive story. I also like to help people navigate some of the mistakes. What's what's one of the dumbest things you've seen a smart person do in your career? Um, well, I would, yeah, I can't. Again, it, you know, there's a lot of things that people do. You just think, okay, really? But probably the thing that I thought was the biggest mistake somebody had made, and it was a pretty senior level person. Mm-hmm. He actually took a call in the middle of an interview and proceeded to have a 10, 15 minute conversation with the person on the other end while the interviewer was waiting for them to be done with the call. Um, And obviously didn't get the job. And, and when I, when I did the debrief with the client, when he shared the story, I'm like, you seriously have to be kidding. Right. He's like, no, He, he took a call. And again, I think it was more of a personal call than it was. I mean, it wasn't necessary. Um, I think they felt like they were such a, 
magnanimous personality that they had the right to do that. And obviously wow. the uh, interviewer was put off by that. So that's probably the silliest thing I've ever had happen in yeah. all my years. I mean, there's a lot of wow. stories of people doing silly things, but that's probably yeah. takes the cake. <laughs> wow. I'm sure um, people understand and, and we can't reinforce it enough to really not only, of course, be attentive, but make sure anything else that could distract you is taken care of and doesn't have a chance of interfering with your being present with an interviewer, especially these days with so many uh, interviews happening via phone and Zoom. It's easy right. to get distracted. Right. Really important to create that boundary and that safe space so you can be 100 percent attentive and present with the with the interviewer absolutely what's uh, one of your favorite uh, best things that a candidate has done to you know land a position so um we said i would tell you that we and we coach candidates obviously one of the things that i like i would say you know one person did it and then we tried to duplicate it right so one of the things that um happened Probably fairly early in employment resource group's career, because I, I actually worked for another firm and, and purchased my desk. So um, that I really loved is I had and the, the hiring authority shared it with me and I thought it was brilliant. So the candidate was interviewing for a vice president of sales position and they had did a full recap of almost not every question, but a full recap of here's the things that I learned through the interview. Here's the things that I was I was pleasantly surprised on. Here's the things that I understand are the challenges or issues that this person is going to have to overcome, and then did a recap of why they make sense as a candidate. And I thought it was really brilliant for a couple of reasons. First of all, obviously, it was a recap of selling their skill set, right? But the other thing that it demonstrated is he was an excellent listener because mm. he could almost throughout the entire interview recap not only his selling point, but what the, what the client had shared with him as far as issues, challenges, objectives, goals of the company, he did a phenomenal job of recapping the interview, not in a long and, and arduous way, but in, in just a really thoughtful way. And I thought it was brilliant. And obviously, he got the offer after they received that. So I would say that that's probably my favorite. And we try to duplicate that at this point, because I think it is um, important that people demonstrate, I heard what you said, and here's what I bring that would help with whatever it was they talked about. Yeah. Yeah. It really is possible to uh, reiterate the key initiatives or concerns of a company in, you know, three to five bullet points that show you really got it. And everyone wants to be understood and gotten every human being representing a company on on the hiring manager side. Got it. Um, Well, uh, let's talk about communication. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned in our prior interactions and and, uh, correspondence, uh, an emphasis, you and I share a passion for people being powerful communications. And I think you underscored it moments ago about listening, right? Listening is, you know, 200% of the ballgame. <laughs> uh, tell us more about um, communication, social media. What What's an appropriate way for people to communicate with hiring managers and perhaps also with uh, recruiters and executive search professionals like you? Yeah. I'll tell you, everything has changed so much since I started. And I'm a dinosaur. I mean, when I started, I had to buy yellow pages and we didn't have the internet. And I mean, so it's changed so much. Um, I, you know, this is a, it's a relationship business, right? What we do, it, that's, that's, we don't have a product we sell. So the only thing we really have to sell is our ability to help them and the relationship that we bring to the table. So for me, I spend a, a lot of time um, and I would just say, call it like it is, befriending people, you know, befriending my clients. Um, I like to, I do a lot of stuff face-to-face. I mean, obviously 
during the pandemic, I didn't. And, you know, I spent a, a, way too much time on Zoom, but I hated it. So, um, and, and we learned some good skill sets and, and all of that. So it wasn't a bad thing, but um, I just love spending time inside organizations and, and getting to know them and being observant. You know, it isn't just, it's, it's nonverbal communication as well. One of my favorite things to do in manufacturing is walk the plant floor, floor with the boss. I mean, you learn more of what people don't say than what they do. You know, do they do they acknowledge people when they walk by them? Do people scatter when the boss comes or do they greet? Hey, how are you? You know, those are the things that are those nonverbal communications that you learn very quickly about leadership styles, those sort of things. I also think if you're good at asking open-ended questions, that emotional connection that happens just face-to-face and, and um, having that rapport build really shows that you're that you understand your craft that you really care about their organization about making sure and getting it right um, and if you, even if you can't do it face to face I mean this is obviously kind of the new way of of being able to do that and I like it better than the phone I mean at least I can see the faces of the people that I'm talking to and understand um, we even shortlist via zoom a lot of times which is obviously more challenging than doing it face to face but if they're in another state, you know, we do it this way and I can read their reactions, those sort of things. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, you know, for me, it's, I, I do a lot of homework trying to, you can find out a lot about people with social media. So I stalk them on social media and try to find out as much as I can. And then, um, you know, ask thoughtful questions, not just about their company, but about their, their person as well. You know, mm-hmm. I see you, get, you have kids and how do you balance your, your magnanimous job with, with your kids and all of that, you know, just, acknowledge that I know and have spent some time trying to get to know more about them. Yeah, really good. You know, it's amazing how much you can tell about what's important to a person by the choices on their LinkedIn profile, just by the choices they've made in their career trajectory, the uh, thought leaders they follow, the comments and activity they make or share. And I also like to point people to the recommendations they get and give. You really can tell a lot about a person what they value by how they write recommendations in LinkedIn about their peers and other, you know, they're, they're on that section of LinkedIn. Um, let's talk a little bit about giving back. You and I both share a passion for giving back. How, how, what's your favorite way of giving back? So um, when I first started Employment Resource Group, um, I knew that our performing arts center, which was less than a year old, was not happy with their president that they had hired. And I heard that they were going to be terminating him. And that board had 26 of the most powerful CEOs in all of Appleton. So I literally walked up to two of them at Rotary. Somebody told me I had to join Rotary, so I joined Rotary. Uh, I walked up to, and I said, you don't know me, but my name is Sharon Hulse. I own an executive search firm. My firm was less than three months old at that time. I own an executive search firm. And if you'll let me do the search for the new president of the Performing Arts Center, I'll do it pro bono. And one of the guys looked at me and goes, sold. And that's how it started. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just a riot. So that's how I started. And obviously it was, was, I knew that I could do the search and do it well, but I also had an ulterior motive, right? I wanted to get to know those people. So one of the requirements is that I would get to know the the people on the board and that sort of thing, which, which I did. And we started working. Some of them to this day are still customers 20 some years later. So that, that worked out great. But I, I also had this tremendous uh, feeling of I can really transform and help our community by using my natural gifts, which is search. So that was the first one. Here we are 20 years later, we've done 84, 85 
uh, not-for-profit searches for our community pro bono. And anybody who's, who's a not-for-profit, and if they're in our area, we will do it pro bono. Um, and we do that as our gift to the community. And and I, I always say it's probably the, my, my favorite legacy I hope to leave when I'm not here anymore. And that is we, through our talent, we were able to upgrade the leadership of our not-for-profit community, which now can offer more services to people who are in need. So wow. I'm really, right. really pleased by the fact that our organization has been able to impact our community in that way. Really leveraged a ripple effect of uh, your talent, your talent and passion for making a difference. So there's that ripple effect by, by what you just described. It's great. I have a, a question. Being the author of a book titled uh, A Well-Done Professional Midlife Crisis, um, and I'm impressed that that was published by Forbes Books. Well, I imagine that has you attracting uh, candidates who might have a question about ageism. Uh, you know, how, how, do, how do we recommend candidates deal with their concern that they're too old for one career path or another? Right. Well, the book is written for people 45 to 55. So one of the first things I address in the book is ageism. And it is absolutely 100% real. I mean, it exists and we, we know that we're in the business, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and the hardest part, part of this whole, um, the reason I wrote the book is everybody doesn't need to change jobs to be happy. Sometimes it's just speaking to what it is you're passionate about and and going to your boss or supervisor and offering to help, whether it's um, looking at a new profit center, there's all kinds of suggestions in there. And sometimes it doesn't make sense to move because you, you know, you're close to retirement. Um, you know, there's just, there's a lot of things that if you don't stay in the sweet spot that you're in, your income level is probably going to go down. I mean, there's a lot of things to think about. That's what the book is about, is taking people through that process. Ageism is definitely alive and well, um, especially when you're within 10 years of retirement. Because at that point, there's healthcare concerns that this person could become more more likely than a young person could become ill. I mean, there's all kinds of things that that hiring authorities think about, as, as we know. And they want people who have a long run. So for me, I, I help people to understand through the, the book mechanism is, you know, you have to you have to sell what it is those transferable skills are that make the cost make sense for them to look at you. Um, and, and sometimes you'll come to the realize, realization it doesn't. And then it, it's almost impossible to be able to market yourself. But if it does, you just have to be armed and ready with that conversation when you go in. Um, we have a lot of people who are senior leaders who the the CEO is retiring. They have two people who are up. This is a story that's in the book. Two people are up for the position. Uh, the particular story that's in here, one was the chief financial officer. The other one was the senior vice president of sales. They both were viable candidates for the uh, CEO role. And the finance person was awarded the job because he um, the board felt that he would have he would take better care of the company from a revenue standpoint. So the senior vice president of um, of sales came to see me and said, I don't know that I want to work for this other individual. And by the time we were done, he had a whole business case of why he was a good second for that person. He actually got promoted to chief operating officer of the company and the company has thrived under the two of their leadership. But we had to go Great. through and make the business case about why it made sense because it did not make sense for him to make a job change. He was making too much money. He didn't want to leave the area. There was no strong competitor to that type of business in the area. So it would have been an obvious relocate. 
So it was making a business case for why he made sense to the new CEO and, and it ended up working beautifully. So it's, it's just being thoughtful about the career and, and really looking at it. Um, and ageism is absolutely, um, I mean, to sit here and say, ah, that really doesn't exist would just be silly because it is, I mean, it's alive and well and it, it is a factor yeah. for sure. Yeah, I hear it's really real. I hear and underscore the emphasis on the business case and the value proposition. Yeah. And um, and I really like what you're saying. And we believe the same thing. Our our sort of triad of, of approaches, career enhancement first, leading to career advancement. And then if that doesn't work, then career transition. Right. But there's a lot of opportunity to transform and, and frame shift issues and find opportunities, whether it's speaking to a supervisor or whether it's a C-level person interviewing every member of the board and, and coming up with a new strategic approach. Yeah, so a lot of things. To grow in a career without necessarily having to make a change and deal right. with that uh, ageism might be a factor. Really good. Have to go away with communication. Last question: As a musician, I love asking my guests, "What's your favorite style of music? Favorite so, actor? Favorite? Favorite? Sorry, not favorite actor. Favorite singer, or songwriter, or band? Or, or sure. So, so I would tell you that I love every style of music except rap. I'm not a fan of rap. <laughs> Me uh, maybe it's my age. Just being honest. Um, and I love Broadway. So mm. anything Broadway, I mean, I am, I, I've seen Wicked nine times. I've been, <laughs> yeah, I, I love Broadway. So, um, so for me, when I think about my favorite music would probably be anything from a Broadway musical, just because um, I've seen the musical so many times. And in my yeah. mind, that scene or what was happening is associated. I mean, we know all the words to the, all the songs in Hamilton and, and mm. I just, I love it. So that would be me. Fantastic. Fantastic. You mentioned Wicked. Steven Schwartz is a composer for Wicked. Also wrote the music for an animated DreamWorks film called the Prince of Egypt, which is the, uh, the story of Moses. So if you haven't seen that, uh, you'll love the music. I mentioned Steven Schwartz also, because you remember the program Wonderama, maybe it was a New York based program, but Steven Schwartz came on when I was, a, and I was a, uh, an audience member when I was, I don't know, four or five years old with Doug Henning, the star of The Magic Show. And that was early in Stephen Schwartz's career, uh, I think it was just after Pippin. So uh, Pippin's one of my favorites. I like Pippin too. That's yeah, great. fabulous. Well, Sharon, it has been an absolute delight getting to know you. And I really appreciate, I know my listeners, I really appreciate your insights, your wisdom, and really an inspiring set of stories and examples to help them navigate the transition. Yeah, thank Anything you. Anything else you want to leave us with? Any tip I want to leave you with? Um, you know, I, the one thing I would say is, you know, we're sort of an open book here. We're, we just want to get people to happy. So if there's anybody in the recruiting profession or anybody out there that that just wants to ask a question or, I mean, we're here and we are absolutely happy to, to answer any questions or to be helpful because we're all in this together and it's not necessarily an easy gig. And I get that. So um, I'm happy to, to share. Fantastic. All right, we're going to make sure that in the show notes, we have your contact information and a link to how they can purchase the book, A Well-Done Professional Midlife Crisis. Great. Sharon, thanks so much. We'll see you again soon. Bye Thank for now. you. Thank you very much for listening to the Career Transition Experts. We hope you got something of value and would love to hear from you on what you did learn and how this episode made a difference. If you'd like to contact or reach our guests, take a look at the show notes and you can also find there a link where we will send you a free copy of our resume preparation checklist. 
If there's anything we can do to help you fulfill your vision and make that transition smoothly, contact us. We are here for you. Thanks again for listening. Hope to see you again soon. Bye for now.